Hello, friends, and welcome again to another episode of the Pollock Podcast. I'm Jared Cornut. Joined tonight only, at least to begin with, we'll see if Brother Hensley jumps in here at any point, but joined uh, specifically with the Reverend Alan Murray. Alan, how are you tonight? Doing well. Um, it seems like VBS is in full-blown effect in our house, even though it's not at our church. Our kids did a VBS last week at another sister church, SBC Church, and they're doing one this week. And so lots of visiting neighboring churches and taking kids to VBS. And a, a bit uh, interesting, since my son has his first day of kindergarten Wednesday, so summer is it's over here. It's We're getting back in the swing of fall activities and all those different things. Some of the schools don't start till next week, uh, but he starts this Wednesday, so it's his first day of kindergarten. He's excited. I'm worn out, played 18 holes of golf today with one of my deacons, uh, but that's always a good day. And I had a meeting with a a gentleman who's looking to join our church before that. So it was a very fruitful uh, day. And then we went to the Rainforest Cafe tonight uh, to celebrate the first week of Andrew's school. I don't know if you've ever been to a Rainforest Cafe. The food is very subpar, uh, but there's like animals and things like that. It's very kid thing so he's very excited uh, my wallet didn't love how much we spent to go eat there and what's wild is i need a reservation like a week in advance uh and it books up like crazy and it was packed uh but we had a good time doing that but we're not here to talk about the rainforest cafe or golf or any of those things we're here to talk about southern madness life and uh the first thing that i just want to mention and this is not really something that we'll spend time discussing but uh, i think you think it's worth mentioning that Bar barber the president of the southern Madness convention has named the abuse task force uh, members uh, that he was uh, charged to do at the annual meeting for the A-R-I-T-F is what that has uh, become known as the Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force. There's an article on Baptist Press about this. We'll link it in the show notes. We talked about last week that Marshall Blaylock uh, was uh, appointed to chair this committee, Pastor First Baptist in Charleston, South Carolina, the oldest um, Southern Baptist Church, and Mike Keybone, pastor of First Baptist Church in Lawton, Oklahoma, will be the vice chair, uh, but the rest of the committee was announced. Todd Binkert, uh, pastor and lead elder of Oak Community Church in Indiana, Melissa Bowen, a church member at First Baptist Church of Prattville, Alabama, Brad Eubank, senior pastor of Petal First Baptist Church in Petal, Mississippi, Cindy Lott, who is a member of a church in Morganton, North Carolina, John Nelson, who is a lead pastor in Jefferson City, Missouri. Uh, Jarrett Stevens, who pastors a very large church in Houston, Champion Forest Baptist Church. And Greg Wills, uh, who is a member at Travis Avenue Baptist Church, but also teaches at um, the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he's the dean of the School of Theology. And so, Alan, just very quickly, uh, how can we pray uh, for these members as they go uh, on this uh, noble task? I would say two things to, to really pray for, uh, for clarity and understanding, wisdom. I think those things can be lumped together and pray for unity, uh, unity for them and unity for the convention as we respond. Um, it's a heavy task, and the Bible makes it very clear. If anyone lacks wisdom, uh, let him ask of the Father above who gives freely without reproach. And so I'd ask for wisdom for these people. That's what I'd do first. Now, very good, Alan. Thank you for sharing that, and I, I echo that wholeheartedly. Um, there's an article on Baptist Press about how churches can be personalized partners for local school ministries. And you can read about how two churches, in fact, I know two of the pastors, Cody Watson and 
Peter Burmeister, I guess is how you pronounce that, but Peter is a member of the Baptist Review, and Cody Watson is a, is a brother I've known for a few years, and talks about what their churches do uh, to partner with schools. And I, I think that partnering with schools is really important, and our church uh, here locally does two things that I think are, well, actually a couple of things that we do uh, helps. First is that we give a Starbucks gift card. We have a middle school and an elementary school uh, in Armstrong. Uh, b- uh, you know, you can hit them on a rock from our church, basically. And every year to encourage the teachers, we give them a Starbucks gift card. I know there's better coffee out there, uh, but uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth, there are Starbucks literally everywhere. I think I passed four on the way from my house to the church, and it is a 10-minute drive. Uh, I passed four Starbucks. Um, and so that's just something anybody can go get. Probably everybody there has a drink they at least can tolerate from Starbucks. And uh, one of our prayer ministry partners at our church will just write a little note that they're praying for the teacher. We personalize it every teacher and employee. In fact, every employee at the church, janitor, everybody gets one. Uh, we do that. And several years ago, we started a ministry with our middle school that's right next to us where every Wednesday night, uh, actually, really every Wednesday afternoon at 3.30, over 100 middle schoolers come to our church. They play basketball and volleyball or indoor soccer. Um, they have tutors that are there to help them do their homework. Uh, we provide them dinner every night, and they get a nice full dinner. And if their parents work late, they can stay and participate in church. In fact, we encourage them to stay, go to youth group, and do those types of things. Uh, we also provide a dev- we also do devotion every week, a different member of our church. I do one. Everyone does one. Uh, and they just share whatever God's put on their heart and share with these uh, kids. And uh, it's really great because what we uh, a church member just noticed this one day. He said, I look out and all these kids are just walking around past our church to go home. Probably a lot of them go home because their parents in our community, most parents are uh, either sing- single parents around us or both parents work. So what if we provided an atmosphere for them to get a great dinner, for them to uh, be safe? And uh, it has just been a hit for years and years at our church. And in fact, the school loves it. They promote it. They encourage the kids to go. Uh, and so it's just a really simple way for us to support uh, the, the middle schoolers right down the road from us. And in fact, many of them have come to know Christ through this. Some of them have even brought their uh, parents to our church and seen their parents be baptized. This is a very, very cool ministry. And then with our elementary school, we do this thing called Reading Buddies. And it's really just an opportunity to be partners with elementary school students. A lot of our senior adults do this where they help teach these young elementary students to read. And some of them become mentors for them. In fact, several of our church members on Sunday mornings will go and pick up uh, their reading buddies and bring them to church on Sunday mornings, or they're at the playground. We sit at the playground with them. And it's just a really cool way for our church to partner uh, with that. Now, there's all kinds of ways for your church to partner as well. When I was in another church, we did what was called the Good News Club. Alan, you ever heard of that, Good News Club? Um, It's just basically an after-school program where you get to be in the schools teaching the gospel. Uh, to kids and we would average 80 kids or so that would stay we provide snacks for them and they would rotate and do these types of things and it was a big big hit and so i think you know alan you're in a unique situation where you don't really have a you're very rural and you'll talk about this in a moment uh but you you you're wet you're not close to a school at all you know 30 minutes to the closest school makes it kind of hard to partner with school in that situation but if you're like i am in a metroplex or in a city that has schools nearby uh, I would encourage you seek out however you can 
to partner with your schools. You never know who you may reach, who may influence, who may encourage. In fact, uh, every Sunday in the month of August, we are praying for our schools in some aspect. We prayed for teachers last Sunday. We're praying for students this coming Sunday. We're praying for all employees of the school. The next Sunday and the last Sunday, we're praying for the Board of Education. We have retired school teachers. We have school teachers in our church. We have a school board member in our church. And so uh, I just think it's important to be involved in your schools. I know that there is a lot of uh, press right now about public schools and books and public schools, things that are being taught, things teachers are saying. And I, I think those are things that we should care about intently and things that we should watch out for and things that we should be actively engaged in protecting our young people. Um, but also there are many great teachers who need to be encouraged and those students need to hear the gospel. And so uh, read this article on Baptist Press. I think it's got a lot of great insights and information on there. And maybe give you some ideas. And if your church does anything unique, hey, we'd love to hear that. Send us a message on our Facebook page or message one of us personally and say, hey, this is some things our church does. And maybe we'd bring you on the podcast and you can share about that. So uh, school, I don't know if you want to add anything to that before you jump over to your topic that you wanted to talk about. But, uh, you know, school starting back up. I thought that would be a pretty good one. You sent it my way and I thought that was worth talking about. Yeah, it's something I've done previously in ministry, had great results uh, in my previous pastorate. We were um, just right up the road from a local elementary school. We kind of adopted them, provided supplies, provided gift cards for teachers and prayer and that kind of thing. For us at our church, while we are far away from any kind of school, we do have some educators that are members of our church. And so I would just resound what you said there at the end, pray for them. Um, it, it may be a good idea even from time to time at the beginning of school or the end of school, if, if they're willing to do it, to, to spend a special time for them in prayer, maybe even if they're comfortable being in front of the church, being prayed for, because teachers have a hard job, uh, especially in the, the day in which we live. So I, I would just encourage you to support them and pray for them and support the local school. You can, you can have tremendous ministry, uh, just like you said, and like the article from Baptist Press mentioned. Uh, but in the vein of being in such a rural area, long, long ways uh, away from any schools, there's another Baptist Press article that I wanted to share. Uh, it says, pastors of very small churches express joy, commitment, and challenges. Uh, Baptist Press shares a story of uh, an individual who lives out in Austin, Nevada, a church of about 12 people, um, and has been the pastor there since 2008, just talking about how he enjoys being uh, the pastor there, several other pastors in this article who are at smaller churches and enjoy their ministry in smaller churches. Uh, and I, often, I, I'm, I'm kind of like Mark Clifton, I don't even like using the language of small church, uh, normative church. Uh, there are no small churches uh, in the eyes of the Lord. As Thad Daddle would say, everybody's a somebody in the Lord's body. And so I'm, I'm, I, even with my church, we're not a, a great big church. Uh, we, we run 45, 50 folks on Sunday morning, and I don't like to call us a little church uh, because we have a big Savior. And uh, I think there's great value in that. My first pastorate, we averaged about 15 folks on Sunday morning, and I loved it. I loved my people. Uh, there were certainly challenges there when you only have a handful of folks on Sunday mornings uh, when it comes to what you can do and who's doing what. And a lot of folks are doing a lot of things, but there's great value in rural church ministry and even small churches in urban settings. Not all churches in urban settings are going to be a a mega church. Um, Some settings that are are urban, there are some places that will be towns or cities uh, that have as many members as some churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. 
but there's great value in all sizes of churches. I've, I've always thought if as long as the Lord hasn't removed a lampstand from a church, they deserve a pastor. Uh, that being said, I, I posted something on Twitter a few days ago. Uh, just a need that I'm seeing in my area is that there are very few willing and qualified. Uh, sometimes men are qualified and not willing, and sometimes people are willing and they're not qualified. So I give that caveat to pastor some of our rural churches. Uh, within a 30-minute drive of my church, there are at least five churches that I know of in my Baptist association that don't have pastors, and they're all rural churches. And there's there's just this ongoing, continued need for uh, for pastors. I, I had a conversation with somebody about how uh, they, they just found this hard to believe. You go to a seminary somewhere like Southeastern or Midwestern or Southern or Southwestern, that, you know, they're, they're having record enrollment year after year after year, you know, 3,000 students a semester or things like that. How can there be so many people in the seminaries, but there aren't enough pastors? Um, and the reality is not everybody who goes to seminary becomes a pastor. Uh, not everybody who goes to seminary finishes being uh, finished the seminary or goes into pastoral ministry, those kinds of things. But it's challenging. What, what do you see in in the Dallas area? Do you see a, a shortage of pastors? I know you're really close to Southwestern Seminary, so that probably changes your dynamic a little bit. Yeah, being close to, we have Southwestern DBU and Criswell and DTS all right here. And so there are, there are no shortage of young men who would jump at the gun to pastor our church. But in, in fact, there are churches in my association who have been without, without a pastor for over two years. Um, I don't know if that's pickiness by the uh, church committees of these churches, this organization. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But when you live in Dallas, Fort Worth, there's people. People always are willing to move here. People want to live here. Cost of living is high, but there's lots of opportunities. So I don't see it as much, except for in churches that are smaller, because they probably have to be bivocational or cannot afford to live on the the salary out here. So th- th- those are some interesting things that we see. You know, Alan, what I would love to see is the North American Mission Board maybe partner with our seminaries to uh, help s- support churches that maybe are smaller in context, 25 or less, and to send them out or go to revitalizations and say, we're going to send out. We focus so much on planting, and I get it. Planting is important. You know, but what if some of these mega churches, instead of sending out teams to plant, send out teams to revitalize? where we already have churches. I I think uh, that that would be wise and healthy and good. Uh, I certainly don't know all the answers. I'm certainly not the one to plan that. Somebody makes more money and is smarter than I should do that. Uh, But I do think it's an issue. Uh, Why do you think people are just – is it because they want something bigger? Is that because they want more notoriety? What, What do you think that is? I think there are probably a, a number of reasons when it comes to rural life. Um, it's just not for everybody. It takes some adaptation. If you're used to being, you know, less than five minutes from a grocery store or where you live, uh, a, a, a bunch of grocery stores probably within five minutes from your house. Um, if I want to go to a, a Walmart super center, um, I've got about a 35-minute drive. Um, if I want to go to a, a small, very small Piggly Wiggly, I've got a 20-minute drive. Um, I'm, I don't even have a family dollar or a dollar general in my community, uh, if that tells you how rural I am. And so some folks, say they just don't want to make that rural adaptation. Um, 
maybe some folks they, they want notoriety. It's hard to to gain notoriety, I guess, in a rural church. Um, I don't I don't think notoriety is why anybody should be in the ministry. Uh, but I think it's probably two sides of the coin. Uh, some is from applicants and potential ministers going to these churches where they don't want to go there. Uh, but the other side is the expectations and the reality of the churches. Uh, if they are smaller churches, they may not be able to provide financially uh, for full-time pastorates. And so you are going to have to have my vocational ministry. Uh, it can be very hard in a community like mine. If it wasn't for having a parsonage, uh, there'd be nowhere to live in my community. Houses just don't come up for sale. They don't come up for rent. Um, and sometimes churches have full-time expectations with part-time pay. Uh, and, and that's going to have to change in some of our churches. Um, I, I even see a pattern sometimes show up in Baptist life that I see a whole lot more common in Methodist life, where some churches are, are meeting uh, just two times a month, or there are guys that are taking a field of churches where they're pastoring more than one church. They're there at nine at one church, 11 at the other or Sunday morning, Sunday night. Uh, I think you may see more of that in the coming ages, uh, that or just churches closing. Uh, some churches will go years and years and years without pastors, and um, you can only be sustained so long by that way because the Lord has designed his church to have leaders. You know, rural life would be <laughs> different for us. Uh, let's see, we live uh, two minutes from the grocery store, five minutes from Target, five minutes from Walmart, about a billion restaurants. In fact, our Walmart's one of 25 in the country that have a Disney store inside of it. And so I think my wife would say, God, we need to write that in the sky because uh, she, she loves that. Uh, but, you know, I think guys are just going to be open to going wherever God calls them. We don't know how long we'll be at Plymouth Park. Lord willing, we'll be there for years and years to come. Um, but if not, you know, it could be rural next time. It could be smaller. It could be different. Uh, but you just have to be faithful to God's calling. And every church needs a faithful man to pastor it. And hopefully uh, we can send it to that call and do those things. Alan, anything else on that? No? Uh, love, love your rural churches. Uh, love your rural association, churches. And you can help them out, kind of like Jared said. Uh, if you got way too many people to do music, I promise you those rural churches could use somebody to help them with music. Yeah, uh, especially when their people aren't there. Uh, if you got a bunch of guys that can preach in your church, um, I struggle. I honestly do. I struggle sometimes to find people to fill the pulpit for me, and I think a lot of it's because I'm so far from everything. So, if you can help help out in those situations, uh, jump in and pray for your sister churches in smaller areas. Well, Alan, last Saturday night, my wife and I went down to Cowboys Stadium, and we heard our Garth Brooks sing for three hours. Uh, all the classics, not really a lot of new stuff. He did some covers. And uh, I, we, we saw a tweet this week that said, what is the most iconic line in country music history? Now, I'll say this. If you Even if you don't like Garth Brooks, if you ever get the chance to go hear him live, go. Tickets were $90 a person, no matter where you sat, first come, first serve. Uh, and it was the best show I've ever been to. There's a lot of iconic country lines. I think about Mama Tried is a very iconic country line, perhaps one of the most popular country songs of all time. I Walked the Line. Uh, I Walked Into a Burning Ring of Fire. Yeah, you know, all those. But I said the most iconic country line. I think that any, anybody that they know the song, right, is uh, Blame It All on My Roots. 
I showed up in boots. I think that's it. I think that's the most iconic country line. In fact, I told my church Sunday, I did an illustration about uh, going to the concert. I said, some of you here may think, how could our pastor go to a Garth Brooks concert? That's, that's such a that's such heathen activity. And I said, well, church, if you think that, I just want you to know I have friends in low places. And they all just thought that was hilarious. Uh, Alan, I'm interested to hear, my son right here, some of he's hungry. Uh, I'm interested to hear what... I'm not getting you any food. It's 9.15. Alan, what is your, um, what is the most iconic country song in your opinion? Or country line? That, that's hard. Um, I, I can I can totally see why you would say what you said. Um, I, and I, I, I followed through that thread and saw so many answers, some of which I thought are just terrible. Um, and it's it's not even my favorite song. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm not a fan of modern country music, but I do like a lot of older country music. Uh, but it's hard to get past uh, He Stopped Loving Her Today by George Jones as far as being iconic. If you look at the CMT top 100 country songs of all time, it's number two, uh, right wow. behind Tammy Wynette's Stand By Your Man. Uh, but but just shortly below that at number six is Friends in Low Places. So I think both of those are it's pretty iconic and pretty timeless. Uh, I would well. love to hear Matt's opinion. It'd probably be a Florida Georgia Line song or some other bro country, if I had to guess. Uh, goodness, uh, let's let's try to avoid that like the plague. Um, you know, there, there's there's a lot of iconic country music from from times gone by. Uh, Johnny Cash. Um, yeah, it, it's it's really hard to to narrow that down. There's a lot of stuff that I think would be easy to skip. Another one that I saw several folks say uh, was "Hello, Darling." You know, right. that instantly it's Conway Twitty. And so, um, you know what I didn't I, see that I was surprised by "Amarillo by Morning." Because you know, you know, George Strait's the king of country music. You would think that an iconic line would have to come from George. But I didn't see a whole lot of George Strait on there. That's the number twelve top country song of all time, according to CMT. Did he have so a song it's, it's above that, or was that his highest? Uh, that is his highest. Really? Yep. So uh, I was surprised to not see more folks mention him as well. Um, saw several folks quote The Gambler uh, by oh. Kenny Rogers. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty that, iconic that is, as well. That is pretty. I, th- I think it's another song that everybody knows that song. But I'll tell you, uh, every album of football game, about uh, two or three minutes of the fourth quarter, they play Friends in Low Places. And 102,000 uh, people who are in, a lot of them are in a pretty low place, uh, probably at that point, uh, sing that song out. And it's just one of those songs that everybody knows. And it's the same with the, the one you mentioned. I mean, you, we could go back and forth. There's tons of iconic country songs. I think those are both good options. Um, I would be interested to hear what our listeners say. What do you, what do you think? What did, how did you answer that? Uh, I saw Jonathan Howe agree with me, so at least I... Uh, I got something in common with uh, one of the elites in the SBC. He'll love that I said that, by the way. Uh, Alan, uh, anything else before we wrap this thing up and I try to get this kid I thought was asleep back to bed? No, I, I think we're good. I just feel bad for him because he has come to the potluck and he will not have his fill and he will not have his full. Hey, William, can you say goodnight, everybody? You can't say that. Can you say roll tide? Can you say I'm hungry? hungry he whispered it well friends thanks for coming to the potluck i hope unlike william here you had your fill had your full join us next time same baptist time same baptist hour stay baptist my friends